Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Dirty Little Secret. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. Seek, and you'll find, they say. But I've been looking every day for a way past all the confusion and fray. On hands and knees, I pray, searching for faith. I know there's much at stake, but I don't know if I can take another pat on the back saying, you'll be okay. My God, my whole mind is in disarray. I know that when it all starts to fall, you're the one who hears what I call taking this saw and making me Paul. I pray for a slap in the face just to erase all the doubts and the years and the tears and the fears all pressing too near. I know there are things I'll never figure out until I let Hope overwhelm my doubt. Well, what will be left when I've breathed my last breath besides the folks I've met and the folks I've left? Will I discover a saving love or just the dirt below and above? I beg to be spared. I bet if there's a person of death, he's probably holding his breath as I show the blind and tell the deaf about how he is bereft of any real power. But can I be used to help others find truth when I'm scared I'll find unconvincing proof? I'm a doubting Thomas. I'm just trying To be honest, I'm wrestling with your promise. Lord, help me, me of little faith. Seek and you'll find, they say. But I've been looking every day for a way. It's the dirty little secret that I want to share with you this morning. It's something that would get a lot of people kicked out of most churches, especially pastors. You see, sometimes I have my doubts about God. And this has been a lifelong struggle for me. This isn't something that just happened recently, and it's not something that's just way back in my past. This has been a lifelong struggle. I remember the first hiccup that I had in my faith walk was when I was a teenager sitting in church listening to the pastor preach. And he's preaching, and he's going to town, he's saying some really good stuff, and there's a thought that pops in my head. Is God real or did we make up all this stuff? And I thought, oh man, I can't be thinking that in the middle of church. What's going on? And then the next thought that I had after that, because it just kind of continued, was, well, is he good? If if he is real, is he good? And if he's good, why does he let all this kind of bad stuff happen? And I'm sitting in church listening to my pastor preach about Jesus, thinking, is, is Jesus, is Jesus real? And if he's, if he's real, is he good? And if he's good, why isn't he more involved? Because when I, when I read my Bible, I read about, you know, 
all of these incredible, crazy things that are happening, happening throughout history. I read about Noah and a, and a huge ark and animals. And I read about Abraham and, and, and taking his son and a, and a, a, a sacrifice being provided for him. And I read about Moses and, and seas splitting and plagues coming. And I read about Joshua and the sun standing still. And then I read about the prophets and all the crazy things that they did. And then you get to Jesus, and that's just incredible. People are getting healed left and right. Dead people are coming up out of the grave. And then I read about the disciples and Acts, and the same thing keeps happening. And I look around, I'm thinking, well, is he even involved anymore? And it's not like I didn't give God plenty of opportunities to prove himself. I remember, and you can laugh if you ever did this as a kid. I remember as a kid, we had uh, these, these pictures that like, you know, you have to sell because your school gives them to you and they turn your kids into like little Amway reps. And so they're like peddling these to all your neighbors. And we didn't have a neighborhood. We had a holler in West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia doesn't have neighborhoods. Anyway, um, if you've ever been to West Virginia, you know exactly what a holler is. And so I had to go and sell all these little frames with, like, cute little sentences and, and verses on them. And there was this one that was hanging in my room, and I thought, this is a good idea. I'm going to turn it. I'm going to slide it a little bit so it'll be crooked. And I prayed as I'm going to sleep that night. I said, God, if you're real, while I'm asleep, would you straighten out that picture? And God, if I wake up in the morning and that picture's straight, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Let me tell you, I was, I was never more excited to go to sleep, and I was never more excited to wake up. And when I woke up, the picture was still crooked. I thought, well, that didn't work. And I got a little more sophisticated as a, uh, as a student in high school, because another opportunity came, I'm sitting in my trigonometry class, and if anybody's ever had trigonometry, you know that it causes you to pray a lot, and so I'm sitting there getting ready to take a test, and you know, you got to have like several pencils out, and so I'm sitting at my table, and I lay like, like two pencils, kind of like cross each other, they really look like an X, but in my mind I try to imagine them as a cross, you know, because I figured that would help, um, and so I laid him out, and right before I take the test, I'm already praying. I said, God, I just got to know, if you could, while I'm taking this test, just, just nudge one of these pencils. Just, just move it just a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I thought maybe God was like Patrick Swayze and Ghost. You know, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I was thinking, but, but I prayed, and I took the whole test, and my pencils never moved. And it's not like, you know, when you're adults, you do things terribly different. I mean, our, our picture frames and pencils just turn into, you know, cancer and, and husbands and wives. God, if you're real, could you just make her like me? God, if you're real, could you just heal my grandmother? And so it's not like I didn't give God ample opportunities to prove himself. But here's the, the reality that I ran into. Where do you go when you have questions like that? Because ideally, you would go to church. Ideally, you would go to the local church. But can I share something with you? A lot of times, the local church is kind of intolerant of people with questions. A lot of times, when you have questions and sincere questions, you're kind of not welcomed. 
Instead of being a place for sincere questions and people who are sincerely seeking and just don't know, we're unsure, we're not settled, a lot of times the church can feel very, very closed off and closed-minded. And the church can sometimes feel a little bit insensitive. Can I, I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this, but have you ever heard the statement, um, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it? I get it. I understand the sentiment behind the statement, but can I, can I, can I peel off a layer and tell you that's very insensitive to people with questions? To, to people that I'm going to call this morning seekers, that's very insensitive. Because here's what it says, here's what it communicates. If you have questions and doubts and uncertainties, I don't have time for you. Because I'm already settled. And so, instead of being this place that's a safe place for doubters and seekers and people who are still just searching for it all, I didn't get that. I didn't experience that. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had your questions, your doubts, your uncertainties, but didn't have a place to say, ah, here's what I'm feeling? Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you are, are grounded and sure and confident in your faith and you've never questioned. You've always believed. You've never wondered. I want to commend you for your faith. That's awesome. I'm really glad for you, but that's not my experience. My experience has a lot of questions and a lot of wondering and a lot of struggle sometimes with doubt. And if you've never felt that way, Maybe you know somebody that has. Maybe somebody you work with in your office. They just, they don't know. And you have conversations with them and it goes like, you know, I just don't know if I can believe all that. I just don't know if, if, I, can, if I can buy into all of that. Maybe if you've never struggled with questions and doubt, you know somebody who has. Maybe somebody in your family. At the last Thanksgiving, you had a conversation with them and it went, you know, I just I'm not sure about all that Jesus thing. Or maybe they will even say, you know, I really like what Jesus said, but I don't really see anybody living that out, so it makes me question the whole thing. So this morning, if that's you or if it's somebody you know, we're going to talk about doubt and really how to handle it and how to deal with it because I don't think we should make it go away. And I want to tell you why. Because as a, as, a, as a doubter myself, as someone who has struggled with doubt, I have found great comfort and really a stronger faith in the story of a fellow doubter. His name was Thomas, and his story is in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them up to the book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, turn to chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, don't sweat it. The words or the passages of Scripture are going to be on the screen. If you have your phone or a tablet, some kind of web-enabled device, you can also follow along at version. If you don't know how to use version, version, find a teenager and they'll work out the technology for you. Or find somebody, actually find one of the kids in the kids' ministry and they'll like zip through it. No, no joke at all. While you're turning there, getting ready, if you're getting ready, pulling it up, I want, to, I want to clue you in a little bit on the life of Thomas. Now, Thomas was most likely a fisherman. 
We don't know exactly what he did, but a lot of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, and Thomas was most likely a fisherman. And he, like all the other disciples, left everything to follow Jesus. He left it all. He walked away from family. He walked away from a very, possibly a very lucrative career. He walked away from whatever home he had built, all just to follow Jesus. Sometimes he gets a bad rep for what happens after the resurrection. But keep in mind, Thomas has left everything like all the other disciples. And he followed Jesus for three years. And after Jesus was crucified, the, the rumor began to spread. And I say rumor loosely, you know what I'm saying. The rumor began to spread that Jesus had risen from the grave. Well, Thomas is hearing this and he's starting to think, if this is true, then everything's going to be different. And so Thomas had heard from some of the other disciples that they had seen Jesus. They had met Jesus after he was crucified, after he was risen from the, from the grave. And so Thomas is thinking, oh, this could potentially be true. Everything in Thomas's mind and body, everything in Thomas wanted to believe. But in this moment, he just needed something Else. You see, I'd actually argue that Thomas's doubts are one of his greatest assets. And your doubts and my doubts are one of our greatest assets because sincere doubts, you might want to write this down and jot it down for later or for today, whatever. Sincere doubts, if handled properly, I, I believe actually can become a gift from God. And I think there are three steps that Thomas show us, that Thomas shows us in his life, in his struggle with doubt, that I think we can look at and see and put, it, put into practice in our own lives when we have our own doubts. So here we go. John chapter 20, verses 24 uh, and, and going on. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, I think the first step to handling our doubt and to handling our questions and our uncertainties, I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge our doubt. We need to acknowledge it. We can't, we can't just push it to the background like it doesn't exist. I find Thomas's honesty quite refreshing. I find his, his realness and his just raw look, here's what it's going to take. I need this. I find it refreshing. Because think about it again. Do you think he wanted to believe? Of course he wanted to believe. He had spent three years following this Jesus. He had, spent, he had left everything in his life to follow Jesus because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Of course he wanted to believe. But for some reason, he just couldn't. And I believe that, I believe actually it's because Thomas understood the significance of the resurrection. I think Thomas understood the significance of of what had taken place because if Jesus had really risen from the grave then everything was going to be different the world would forever change and Thomas refused 
to take somebody else's word for it. Thomas refused to operate with second-hand faith when first-hand experience was a possibility. Let me say that again. Thomas refused to operate with second-hand faith when first-hand experience was possible. For years, I took somebody else's word for the reality of God. I I took my parents' word. Maybe you did too. Your parents try to raise you and tell you about Jesus. And for a while, that's good enough. You take their word for it. You trust them. You believe them. I took my Sunday school teacher's words for it. I trusted them, and so that was good enough for a while. I followed, when I was growing up, I followed my pastor's beliefs. And what he believed was good enough for me. But there was a time when I grew up that that wasn't enough anymore. See, my belief had to become my belief. I had to own it. I had to seek it. I had to experience it. I imagine Thomas is struggling with this and thinking, oh, if Jesus is alive, if he's really alive, then everything that he said was true. Life's not going to be about what you can see, but about what you can't see. If Jesus is really alive, that means the kingdom of God is here, and I'm called to be a light to the world. If Jesus is really alive, then the gospel demands my life. You see what I'm saying? I think Thomas understood the significance of the events that were taking place. So he said, I must know for myself. I'm not going to take your word for it. Even though I believe you, even though I trust you, even though I have confidence in you, I've got to know for myself. I'm not going to take your word for it. I've got to experience the reality of this Jesus. So if you have doubts, questions, uncertainties, hesitations that go through your mind, I'm going to challenge you to do something that a lot of people would not challenge you to do. And you might not hear in any other church. I'm going to encourage you to ask the hard questions. This is what it means to acknowledge your doubt, is to ask the question that's going on in your mind. you got to ask it. Do, you know, do I believe because my parents believe? Did I just adopt their belief and never really question and never really search this thing out for myself? Is my, you know, is my faith my way of coping with the world? Is it, is it a crutch that I use just to get through the world because I can't make sense of it? Is, is Christianity just a myth that somebody made up? I mean, if you have those questions in your mind, don't try to just push them out. You have to acknowledge it. This is what Thomas does. He acknowledges it. He says, I have my doubts. And so here it is. And it's just raw and refreshing and honest. He asks the question that I've asked a lot of times. Did did you just make this up? I want to know. See, Thomas wasn't afraid to ask the difficult, hard questions. And I don't think we should be either. And so... He doesn't, though, he, he doesn't just stop at asking the question because a lot of times we'll stop at the question and get stuck. Thomas pushes forward to step two. And here, here's what I believe step two is. After you acknowledge your doubts, you've got to begin pursuing the answers. 
Listen to this. In John chapter 20, verse 26, what happens? A week later, so several days, Thomas has said, hey, here's my question. Here's my doubt. And nothing happens. He's just living for a week in this doubt. A week later, his, being Jesus' disciples, were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. If you're an underliner and write and mark up your Bible, shame on you. I'm just kidding. I don't do it because I'm ADD, and I'll be like reading. I'll be like, oh, what did I mean? And I go off. on Anyway, just like I did there. You might want to underline, Thomas was with them, because we're going to come back to that, because that's incredibly important. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The reason I said you might want to underline that is notice where Thomas is. He's with the disciples. He hasn't hasn't allowed his doubt and uncertainty to isolate him from from the community. He hasn't let his questions isolate him. Instead, he's brought his doubt into the disciples' circle and said, Hey guys, I'm struggling with this. Can I hang out with you for a few more days? And just spend time with you. See, in that, Thomas is pursuing the truth. Thomas is pursuing his answers. He's not stuck in his skepticism. He's still spending time with other believers. That's where we find him. He's still hanging around. He's still exploring. He's still searching. He's still seeking. And eventually... All of this pursuit, eventually he hangs out with the believers long enough that it lands him right in front of Jesus himself. You see, I believe our faith grows when we seek answers to sincere, honest questions. A lot of people just stop at the question and they don't don't take the next step, which is to basically hang in there. Hang around. Pursue the truth. See, I believe that some of your greatest victories in life and some of my greatest victories in life are going to come from just hanging around long enough to meet Jesus. Listen, you got questions and doubts and concerns? That's fine. This church is a place for you. But you got to come more than once a month. You got to get in a small group and go more than once a month to, to hang around. See, this is what Thomas does. This is Thomas's greatest success story right here. He hangs around. He hangs around long enough to meet Jesus. What's he doing? I don't know. He's just there. He's just there. He's hanging out long enough so that he can meet Jesus. Some of you just need to hang out. Just need to hang around long enough. Just need to hang around long enough. And here's what happens, step three. I believe after we've acknowledged our doubts and we're pursuing the answer, we're, we're hanging in there, we're not isolating ourselves from everybody because we're not letting our doubts push us away, we're letting our doubts push us in. Step three is to let Jesus meet you right where you are. Listen to how, how John is writing Thomas's story He makes a couple connections. Then he, being Jesus, said to Thomas in verse 27, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Isn't that exactly what Thomas asked for? I've got to see his hands. 
I've got to put my finger in the holes. I've got to put my hand into his side. Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds and says to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus gives him exactly what he wanted. And we don't know if he took him up on it. We don't know if Thomas went up and said, oh, wow, and just started poking. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus gave him exactly what he asked for. You know, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't show up angry about Thomas's doubt. You know, if you and I were Jesus in that situation, and we had spent our life, and we had spent just all of this energy and effort in training these disciples to, to continue the mission of God, we might look at Thomas and say, Thomas, weren't you listening? What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Shut your mouth and just believe. But Jesus doesn't do that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus could have chewed Thomas out and Jesus could have publicly humiliated him. He could have put him in spiritual timeout. But Jesus doesn't do any of these things. Jesus responds with love and mercy and gave Thomas exactly what his faith needed. And I believe God wants to do that for you and that God will do that for me. But here's what we're going to do we got to acknowledge our doubts. Lord, I have questions. i got things that I don't understand. I've got unanswered mysteries. you got to ask the hard questions. God, are you really real? God, did somebody just make all of this up? you got to acknowledge that, hey, there's just something in me that's driving me crazy. And we got to acknowledge it. we got to, we got to admit it. But we can't stop there. We've got to pursue truth. We've got to pursue the answers. We've got to seek and search and explore and talk to other people and read. Even if you're not really certain you believe everything in the Bible, spending time in there, hanging out around other believers, believers in the past, believers in the present. You just got to spend time so that when Jesus shows up, you're there and Jesus meets you right where you are. So let me ask you this question. What if we responded that way? What if there was a church that said, hey, if you, do you have questions? Do you have doubts? Are you not really sure about this? You know what? If you come here, we're not going to criticize you. We're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to act intolerant or insensitive to you because we get it. We understand. What would happen? What would happen if we could just admit that this whole faith thing is a little bit of a mystery? That, that we don't have it all figured out? Here, this is what Paul says when he says, right now we see in a mirror dimly. This is what is meant when Scripture says, right now we know in part. Then we will know. Right now on this side of, the, on this side of eternity, it's, it's a little bit of a mystery. We're not really sure on everything. Requires a little bit of trust and a little bit of faith. We don't know everything. Wouldn't it be so refreshing if there was a church that would just say, hey, we don't know it all. We don't know it all. Here's what we know. We know this, this, and this, and we got a lot of questions about everything else. Wouldn't it be refreshing? What about when you're at work and you're trying to talk to somebody, maybe invite them to church, and they're like, well, I don't really know. About it. Well, hey, at our church, we don't, pro we, don't, we don't act like we know it all. 
we have our questions too. We haven't got it all figured out. We firmly believe that right now we see like we're looking into fog and we're just trying to make sense of it all too. So your questions, your doubts, they're actually welcomed. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Wouldn't it be interesting the next time that you're, you're trying to talk to somebody who, who is a self-proclaimed, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. And you say, you know what, I'm a Christian and sometimes I got my doubts too. What would that do? Would that, is it possible that just acknowledging our own questions, our own doubts, acknowledging we don't have it all figured out either, would totally disarm people and say, well, I'm used to, I, I'm actually used to the opposite and somebody trying to tell me how wrong I am, but you're, you're acknowledging that you don't have it all figured out either? I mean, what would happen if that was the case? You know what I think that mystery does? Here's what I think that doubt does. Doubt, mystery, questions. I think it has this way of creating a heightened sense of curiosity. This is why mystery novels and mystery movies and mystery shows are so interesting and they get such a following because there's this sense of curiosity. There's this sense of drawing people into the story. There's this sense of... We're going to create seekers. We're going to create this group of people who want to know more and are willing to do whatever it takes to find out more. They acknowledge that we don't know it all, and so that drives us in to search and know and seek and recognize that we're all far from God. None of us have the market cornered on who God is. And a church that says, we recognize that if you've been a believer for two minutes or two decades, ultimately you're still far from God because you're on this side of eternity. What if a church said, we're going to point you to Jesus. We're not going to point you to give up your doubts and to just push them in the corner somewhere and lock them in a closet. We're not going to force this truth. We're actually going to create an environment where it's an attractive drawing you into truth and to say, we don't really know. We're going to point you to Jesus because we believe that when you meet Jesus, all that secondhand faith will re be replaced by firsthand experience. And that kind of faith is solid. I want to tell you one more story, and it's about myself. My whole, like I said, this whole doubt thing has been a lifelong struggle for me. I mean, even as a pastor, sometimes you wrestle and you talk to people and you're like, God, everything that I believe about you is totally thrown in the trash can, I feel like, talking to this person because, oh, their life. I remember, though, in that question of, is, is God good? Is God fair? I remember I was sitting in my apartment one day when I was in seminary. Let me tell you, even in seminary, you still have your own questions because you learn all this knowledge and all this information and all these different views. And then you start thinking, well, shoot, who's right? 
And if there's that many different ways to understand it and that many different ways to take it, then surely we're missing something. And so it creates this, this knowledge about God creates this mystery about God. That, oh, there's this much and there's even more than that, expo- exponentially more. And so, oh, man. And so I'm sitting in my apartment one night and I'm watching a movie and I don't remember what the movie was. And it had this, this lady on it and she was just, I mean, she was on her deathbed. It was a true story. And all sorts of things had just lined up for this woman to not know Jesus. Everything had lined up in her life. She was abused as a little girl. She fell into the wrong group. All of these things. And so here she is lying, dying from like all of this contracted sickness. I'm talking everything from, from drug abuse and alcohol abuse to, to uh, HIV. and a- It was just this terrible, what ultimately would be a waste of a life. And, it, and I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, God, this isn't really her fault. She never had a chance. I thought, God, this isn't fair. God, why aren't you fair? Have you ever wrestled with that question? Why isn't God fair? And I'll never forget it. Because like I said, remember, when, when you allow, when you just hang around long enough and, and be honest with your questions and pursuing the answer, searching and seeking and being open, that Jesus will meet you right where you are. And so I'm sitting in my apartment. Nobody else is there. This movie's going on. I'm crying. I don't even know this person. And it's just overwhelming. And I'm asking God, I'm saying, God, why aren't you fair? How could this happen? How could a life like that be wasted? If you're real and you're good, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look fair. And I promise you, my secondhand faith was replaced by firsthand experience, not by a picture being moved and not by some pencils being moved, but by the very real, tangible presence of God. And I heard God speak to me and he says, you're right. I'm not fair. I thought, what? God said, you should be thankful that I'm not fair. Because you're not getting what you deserve. I started thinking about it. Yeah, I I deserve a whole world of hurt. The way that I've sinned against God. The way that I've made fun of his name, the way that I have, have abused his grace, yeah, I should, I should be in a world of, of hurt and distance and separation. God's not fair. And it's some of the best news you and I have ever heard. We don't get what we deserve. We deserve separation. We deserve ill. And God isn't fair. He's just, he's good, but he's not fair. And you and I are the best proof of that. Because we should get a lot worse. But because God's not fair, we get his grace. Grace is really the ultimate stamp of unfairness. I'm not going to be fair. I'm going to have grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.